0: Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey everyone, Jordan here with the Startup to Scale podcast and very excited for today's guest, David Lindley with Retail Voodoo. David, welcome.
1: Thank you, Jordan. I'm very excited to be here.
0: So for those listening, we'd love for you just to give a quick 30-second intro on who you are and the work that you do. I know that's a really short time.
1: <laughs> 30 seconds, ready to go. Hi, my name is David Emily. I help brands blow up and become beloved and dominant category leaders who lead from a financial and cultural perspective, their categories.
0: I love it. It sounds like you help brands do the same thing. <laughs> And giving (laughs) their their pitch. So what I really want to talk with you about today is this idea of what does your brand stand for in the world, in the market? What do you as a founder stand for in the world, in the market? Because I think what we've seen over the last couple of years are almost even a, a commoditization of D2C companies, of retail companies, of just a proliferation of products out there with a lot of service level mission, if you will, or purpose, but not a, a deep sense of impact that you wanna make in the in the world. So let's kind of break that down. And I want you to just kind of say from your perspective, brands that stand for something, what does that mean and what does that look like?
1: Well, that's a, an awesome and challenging question. So we'll do our best to unpack that. So let's start with, in. In my view, a brand is a promise you make and then the way or method that you went about making keeping that promise, how that lands with consumers and then that sort of visceral feeling they have in their gut about your brand or your name or your package or your product when it comes up, that is what brand is. So it has to be far beyond crunchy, salty, delicious, keto, blah. Clean ingredient, like all of those things are very important. Don't get me wrong. They're very important reassurance tools, but they're not brand in and of themselves. They're features and benefits. And what I see a lot of uh, s- startups, a lot of first generation, that sort of 10 million and under, their product attribute focus and charismatic as all get out. And that together does not make a brand. There needs to be that deeper. Uh, societal cause or that deeper thing, the whole idea people talk about purpose or purpose driven. Mm-hmm. and having the crunchiest, most delicious um, popcorn, for example, is not um, a, solving a societal problem. So there there needs to be something where you're you're going to stand for something and what I always advise our clients on is, Every brand, in order to be something more than products and benefits, has to make promises that would scare the crap out of their competitive set. So, those promises, and then the leader, the leader which needs to be visible, has to stand up in a way that is evidenced that they are willing to take a punch for that ideology.
0: I love that. And, you know, here's the problem that I see when new founders are thinking about brand. Either they go too shallow or they go way out there in the way that they are not supporting or living up to that vision, right? It's either like, we're going to um, remove sugar from everyone's diet in the whole country. Yeah. great kind of goal but um, I, I feel like a lot of brands have kind of struggle on like how they how they get there and what that really means or, or otherwise it's like surface level of like hey we have a mission to to kind of do good in the world and not be bad
1: and there's yeah. not really
0: any real substance behind that either and so how, how what makes for a good kind of um promise that you make or brand promise that that a brand would make like where is, where are the guardrails around that
1: yeah, that uh, again, great, great, challenging thing to unpack. I would start with understanding your why, your mission, like what, what really is it, and to do good, have fun, and make people feel good, or to be so specific and go, we're going to end sugar, we're going to vilify sugar for the world. Um, that was a, that's a noble ambition but it's also never going to happen. So, um, and a single brand cannot be responsible for that type of movement. But there are other things that are more hopeful and more obvious where there are bigger ideas. I mentioned earlier this idea of what societal challenges or wrongs or enemies in the way humans interact, can your brand help alleviate? That's really where the the power lies, and if you can take that idea and make a product or make a brand or a, uh, a movement behind it, then you get your permission to talk about your prop, your purpose, your mission, your vision, your values, all those things on a deeper level that doesn't feel hyperbolic and doesn't feel like you just graduated from business school. Do
0: you have any founders who, or any brands who you think are doing this really well? In terms of having a very strong purpose?
1: A brand that I think has kind of nailed it recently is uh, Liquid Death. Liquid Death is a brand that, in reality, is a sustainability company. That's what they're doing. They, and now, and they know that I've picked on them before because they're shipping from Austria, you know, and that that carbon footprint is a thing, but having a brand that said, we're going to be a sustainability company. You know, we're going to go make a whole bunch of people who don't drink water, drink water by talking to them in a voice because they're unseen in the marketplace. They have an attitude about brands. They think all this other sort of Deeply, Los Angeles, uh, yoga, all, all of the stuff that goes with water is uh, antithetical to who they want to be on the planet. So to be able to tap into a net new audience with a movement that, oh, by the way, sells water in a can and get the kind of traction that they have is phenomenal.
0: I swear, I was thinking about Liquid Death when before you said it, because they are one of my favorite recent brands as well. And I think you're right. They they tapped and to this market outside of the kind of big city bubbles that we often see and found a a consumer base that kind of spreads around the country, but they are very genuine. They kind of have a a purpose and aesthetic and a reason for being, you know, they're water, but they're fun and they're fun in a way that is a little bit edgy, a little bit hardcore, um, but it's it's still just water. But they're able to to bring in so many people into that that lifestyle that it's changed people's lives, and I'm pretty sure has gotten a lot more people to, to drink water more often.
1: Yeah. So you said something really powerful there. So they've got an ideology, right? They're um, this idea of they're going to be a sustainability company, and they're going to bring fun, and they're going to bring storytelling, and getting that new people into. This movement to get more people to drink water is um, a great example of how you can take a commodity, take a big idea, and then sew them together to make a story. Because the art of storytelling is really what brand and branding comes down to. To do that in a way that excites both, um, you know, a, a zenium, person and a Gen, Gen Z person and everyone in between, and then all of the other cohorts of audiences that would want to pay attention because now it's relevant, I think it's incredibly well done.
0: I love it. You know, I just had a conversation with a founder the other day who was growing their product, and I won't go into all the details, but essentially they have this whole goal of having a product that doesn't have sugar in it, but they also realized that a large number of consumers prefer the taste of a beverage or the product with sugar. And so they're struggling to say, do we stick with this idea of not including sugar in the product because we don't, we believe it's unhealthy, or do we add kind of a little bit of sugar to open it up to a much, much larger consumer base? And I think their idea is that as a more niche product, they wouldn't have the the consumer base to fully support the business. And they were kind of struggling with this battle of how does our, our values conflict with the reality of what the market's kind of looking for.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, it's a huge challenge. And I would say, get some data, start with data. You you need to have an understanding of what the census, the, the size of the prize, if you will, in marketing speak, what is the size of the addressable market that, would go for something that is a little bit uh, sugar alternative mixed with a little sugar. I think that will tell you whether the idea is worth pushing on. And again, if you look at that and you look at um, both you know, short to medium range trends and then mega trends, you can kind of predict when and how long this sort of vilification of sugar is going to last and start to say, well, what comes next? And do we wanna be associated with the vilification part or the regeneration and the normalization of it it balances back out and again we just uh, and before we got on we talked about like just being in good in business like there's there's strategy of that what you will and what you won't do and then there's uh product price placement the four P's or the seven P's as we talk about them but then there's this other component of what those those folks on LinkedIn that we were just talking about um they're they're whining because they want to be lucky rather than good and I think um if I were in this situation trying to decide how much sugar to put in a drink, I would create polarity in my thinking. I would use audience census, and then I would be willing to take a punch for one side or the other. I would never do both.
0: I like that. I because like- that, that reduces
1: the need for luck.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. You know, that was a problem that I experienced. So my the brand that I launched, uh, Energy Bar Company, T-Sports, I talked about this all the time. Um, I thought that a way to stand out was to make as big of a moat as possible around my product. And so it was an energy bar designed to help people stay focused, but we had like bite-sized squares instead of a bar. We use a crunchy kind of puffed millet base instead of having like a more like a protein bar mix. We had um, flavors like citrus green tea matcha. And then we also included um, tea as our hero ingredient in a bar, which no one, not even myself had ever gone into a grocery store or looking to buy an energy bar or tea. And we set up so many kind of moats and, and differentiations around our product that it actually confused consumers because they had no, no basis. And so I, I'm just kind of curious to get your standpoint perspective on like when you're launching a new product, there's this um, idea of like, I need to make my product as different as possible. But you also don't want to make it a me too. And so, where's that balance of having a a product and market that stands out and stands for something, but isn't so different that it doesn't attract anyone to it?
1: Yeah. Let me say to start with, like, I think you were just ahead of your time
0: on on a bunch of (laughs) of (laughs) things.
1: But let's start with uh, this idea of you're calling it a moat. We talk about um, defensively different. And so product attributes are one component of defensible difference. But the truth is, if you do something really, really well, I know 180 people that can get it copied by Thursday. So the the whole illusion of that moat, you got to be careful with, because if you make the bridge across the moat too big, retailers won't understand you. Your, if you are going DTC, your story needs to be so heavy on education around things that take a long time to understand, or you have a really small census of highly adaptogenic ingredient focused naturalists. So that's a big deal. Um, I think the other thing when I think about your brand in particular, tea, you probably know this already. Um, I've listening to other episodes, I'm, I'm sure you're hip to this already, but T squares, Two product attributes, not, yes. not a reason to be, not an idea. Yeah, so um, that would be like crunchy chips.
0: Yes. <laughs> we may have a very, a product descriptor that didn't exist, but maybe shouldn't have existed.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, well, I know, I think it's it's interesting, but it's it's got great mouthfeel. It's fun to say. It seems like there's storytelling there. And it seems like, well, you know, TV and the more enlightened version of energy you know, there's, there's all of that propensity for storytelling there that I think today, if you were starting, you could probably do something slightly different than prior. But this idea of I have a whole bunch of defensibly different attributes or ingredients that create a, a moat so people can copy me, we check that box, but consumers don't want to work that hard. They don't want to work that hard. Um, You know, there's all of this talk about how there's consumer enlightenment and better for you. And and we spent all day, every day in it. And what I can tell you is, yeah, there's a whole ton of it, but the people who actually understand any of the ingredients in your product are about, you know, one or 2%. They're um, people in the business or the uh, fitness trainers of, people who need to look a certain way. Those are the only people who are paying that close of attention. So you got to come in through the emotion door and the association door. And the, I just feel like I'm cooler or better or nicer when I'm with this story that this brand is telling me. And that needs to be quick and narrow and fast.
0: Definitely. And, and that was a problem where it would take five minutes to explain your product. And that's what I always tell the brands as well. If you should be able to explain your product in one sentence to max and for everyone to be able to understand it. You know, it might not be for everyone, but they should get say, ah, you're this. And that's for me, or it's not for me. But if they're like, I still have no idea what you're doing, <laughs> you're probably yeah. lost them. And even the people that. work. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, it's, it's, and it's tricky because, you know, if you, especially if you're in startup mode and you're trying to do something with a next generation ingredient, or you're trying to do something that is a, uh, you know, writing a wrong, and you have a very unique solution to it, if it's, you probably could have enough background on it to, to write a dissertation on it. And the challenge is, uh, nobody has time for that. Like we talked about it like this, and I don't want to simplify it down to, to design, because it's not, I mean, design is the icing on the cake of all the stuff we're talking about, or it's the handshake that helps people understand it. But It has its own place and its own segmentation, but you got to get it down to where there needs to be something that is a fast reason to connect. We talk about a lot of times, especially with with well-funded startups who have sales staff, we try to get them down to understand it. Like if you're going to a singles bar, would you lead with that? Or would you make sure you look good and sound good? And then when they say, hey, hot stuff, you have one thing to say that you want them to you want to give them permission to say, "Tell me more," and that's when all that other stuff comes. I
0: love it. One pillar that I want to make sure we get to is this idea of um, finding a community for your product or building a community. And you know, when we stand for something as a brand, we need other people to stand with us. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to be on the hill alone. And so, how do you? Suggests or recommend brands approach this idea of finding your tribe or building your tribe like is it possible to build a tribe around your brand or are you tapping into existing communities of people
1: mm, good good question you're asking things that have these very complicated multi answers. <laughs> uh, yes it's possible to build a tribe around your brand yeah i highly recommend it but i don't necessarily think you should start at zero and try to try to go one-to-one to get, you know, 50,0 people that are unique to your tribe. I think tapping into other belief structures, challenges that people have as organizations, the interests, all of those things, you can grow, go to those tribes and start to pull people into yours. Again, this whole idea if you're truly a better for you brand and you're therefore you should have some do-gooderness to what you're doing, you're going to be able to help those people see a better future. And really it's like that, that's fundamentally at a brand level and at a tribe level or a community level. What I want is to, to be able to say as a human, I'm not effing alone in this. There are Mm -hmm. people who see the same pain points, the same challenges and the same opportunities that I see. And because we see that, I feel just a little bit more hopeful about every single thing, or I feel stronger, or I feel like I can press through, or I have a right to be here, or I have a right to be seen. I want to be seen, but I want to be seen through the um, a lens where I feel comfortable with other people. And that fundamental human thing is really important. And as we go through modern life, and I know you know this, I'm just saying a little bit that, you know, People have lost their trust in a lot of stuff, a lot of institutions, the government, um, for-profit, anything. But one area, according to the Edelman Trust Report, their 2022 version, one of the areas that didn't erode horribly during the pandemic and has not bounced back to pre-pandemic levels, but is still pretty high, is food and beverage. So society is thinking of us to do something. They're actually wanting us To go help fix the challenges and the brokenness that we feel today. And to me, that plus an awesome set of ingredients, if you know what challenges you can fix, you will get your unfair share of the market because a community will form around you when you speak
0: a certain way. I love that. And I think a lot of, I I feel like a lot of new companies and new brands get are moving away from the core idea that food is really a means to bring people together. You know, there's an individual substance as well for the nutrition, but a lot of people have very fond memories of their families around the dinner table or even friends around a table sharing a meal together. And food has this innate ability to, to connect and bring people together or even just connect you with uh, a larger community of like-minded individuals. You know, even runners might, well, even just like, you know, RX Bar um, is just a, a, you know, Whole30 protein bar was able to connect people within the CrossFit community. And if you create something that tastes good and that connects people, you are gonna probably go a long way into tapping into those communities that you were just mentioning. Yeah,
1: it is, it's, it's so important.
0: I love that. Any final thoughts as brands are thinking about taking a stand that they need to do this in order to really stand out in today's market?
1: Yeah, I, I would say thinking about, again, this,
0: these pain points
1: we've talked about and the challenges of the brands that are your listeners. I think it's it's having a bigger longer term vision having uh, essentials for for survival because you need those for it's like oxygen money is like oxygen if you run out it's going to be a bummer so in business th- that they're very similar yes. but You have to have short-term survival. What am I going to do today to function and thrive? And then what am I doing today to build for tomorrow so that I'm thinking about the impact and legacy of this brand rather than the product attributes of this brand? So spend a few minutes every day doing that. And then just like crawl, walk, run, fly, rocket ship, it happens. But if you're all about the Benjamins and you're all about the short term, you're not going to be here in two years.
0: Well, that's homework for all of our listeners on here to to take that journey and make sure you're considering that survivability for today and planning for success tomorrow. David, thanks so much for being on the show today. Jordan, it was fun.
1: It went by really fast. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course.